Unbroken Podcast. I'm Alexandra Amor, author and lifelong explorer of what it means to be human. This is the podcast where my guests and I explore the inside-out nature of life via the psychological paradigm called the Three Principles. We explore the positive effect this can have on every aspect of our lives, including resolving things like unwanted habits, anxiety, trauma, depression, and more. You'll find episode show notes, transcriptions, your complimentary video series, and lots more at unbrokenpodcast.com. If you're struggling to resolve an overeating habit, I invite you to go to freedomfromovereating.com where you'll find all the details about the online course I've created based on my 30 plus years of struggle and how I found the solution to my own overeating habit by exploring this inside out psychological paradigm. Use the coupon code podcast at checkout to save 20% on this unique and comprehensive course. And now here's the show. Lily Seiss, thank you so much for being here with me on Unbroken. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. My pleasure. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your background and how you got interested in the three principles? Yeah. Um, prior to coming into the three principles understanding, I was a school psychologist. and But what actually led me to the three principles was my own mental health struggles. So I struggled with anxiety um, for a lot of my life. Um, but then it really ramped up in 2011 when I had a panic attack, I had a bad reaction to a medication. Um, and so I had a panic attack that involved derealization and depersonalization. So this feeling of like unreality and like I was losing my mind and I had it when I was driving, um, and on the freeway in Los Angeles. Um, and actually quite a few people like their first panic attack will be driving or on a plane or something like that. But so as what happens with some people is then I started having like panic about panic and, you know, associating it with driving and living in Los Angeles. Um, we do rely on our cars a lot. So I had a lot of thinking about it. And, um, so I just tried so many things. I've always been interested in mental health. Um, and I just really ramped it up after having a panic attack. And I tried, and some of it, I just, I'm really interested in, you know, somatic therapy, neurofeedback, um, cognitive behavioral therapy. And so I do it and I also get really into it. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be it. And I'd want to, you know, and think about sharing some of it with my own, you know, the students that I would see and bringing it in and going on retreats. Um, and so I get really into it, um, but nothing was long lasting for me. I would still find, um, and I think a lot of it was I built up this idea that I was different. There was a lot I needed to do for my mental health. And sometimes if it was like biohacking and the importance of sleep and mantras and a morning routine. Um, so I think these things that can be maybe helpful for some people or meditation and mindfulness, because I can then take it to like the nth degree and be like, well, I'm going to be certified to teach meditation and mindfulness, which I was, or I'm going to be certified to teach yoga to children. And if I do these things and I'm going to meditate every morning and every night and, um, and I just was like burnt out and tired and still anxious. So after seven years of like a lot of trying to have the perfect diet, the perfect routine, um, 
it was like another day of barely making it to work with panic that I just put into Google again, like, I don't know, anxiety, panic help mm-hmm. and up pops Sari Taylor, who's now a friend and colleague, but she had like either a five or seven day anxiety course. And she just sent you this little video. It's like 30 minutes every day. And she introduced me to the principles. Oh. And when I, and this is in May, 2018 and I or like right before then. And I, I kind of just thought, all right, here's this other thing I'm going to try. But I heard things that I hadn't really heard. Mm-hmm. And one of them was there was less for me to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and I started to see that my wisdom got me through every panic attack. And, um, and it was also very welcome, like doing less. So I kind of was curious, like, wait, there's less for me to do. Um, and, and then it's, it just changed my life. Um, so that's how I came into the three principles understanding. And I saw the benefits that it had for me. And I got excited to share it as a school psychologist. And I started doing the spark curriculum because it's an evidence-based curriculum. And as a school psychologist, you really they're like highlight evidence-based and luckily there was a three principles evidence-based curriculum. Um, but even just, um, I had read Jack Pransky's book, somebody should have told us. And so I started incorporating some of that to the talk with the seniors. Um, just especially like that green, yellow, red light, like when to make decisions, how to, Mm. um, just some, I felt like some really important lessons. So I started sharing the principles, um, as a school psychologist, but then I still had this desire to share it with adults because I was like, why didn't anybody tell people with anxiety about this? You know, that it was so simple, so long lasting. And just for me, it was the simplicity was because I had never heard anybody say, oh, there's less for you to do. But I think mm-hmm. with some people, um, with a tendency toward anxiety or a tendency towards OCD, like that you have these obsessions and like doing, it was so different. Like you don't have to try, you don't have to do. I was like, you know, and I think it was once I stopped doing my nervous system just settled on its own. Like my brain rewired itself. Like, and I not knocking Joe Dispenza, but there was a time when I'm like, I can rewire my brain. And I would like get up and listen to his hour long recordings and like, Oh no, wait, our brain can have new neural pathways, no hard work on our part. So it was the principles, all these things that were like, oh, this is so cool. But I thought now I have to work hard at it. And for me, when I worked hard at it, I think for other people, maybe they can do it and it's, and it they don't, don't have more thinking about it. For me and a lot of people that are drawn to me, the more we thought about it and tried, the more we stayed in our head and the more we like ramped up probably the stress hormones. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a long thing. So I got excited to share it with adults. And then I finally started doing it during the pandemic because people were online. Mm. Right. Wow. Oh, that's great. And one of the things, there's so much in there that you said, but one of the things that really stuck out to me was your feeling that you were different, you know, that somehow, and this is so common and I did it too. You know, you, we feel like, oh no, my problem is a little bit special. You know, it's a little bit different. I'm, I'm not like everybody else. Can you, I, I don't know. I just wanted to touch on that a little bit and I think it's important because what we're pointing to in the principles is how we all work exactly the same, right? Yes, yeah. Yes. I, I, well, I used to think I'm just an anxious person. So mm. that was kind of this one story, which is so funny because I would never think of myself as an anxious person. Um, 
now. I mean, I definitely have a tendency towards anxiety. Like that's where my love letters will go rather than something else. But, um, especially once my, when I, after having a panic attack, I was more like, I have like severe mental illness or I could. And so that Mm -hmm. was, um, my children's father, who's my ex-husband, he's, our brains just work a little bit differently. Also, I think maybe also being having ADHD and like some neurodivergence. I remember one time, I don't know who asked who first, what are you thinking? And I told him everything that I was thinking, which was a much busier mind than I would have now. Mm. Uh, So there might be times when I would just probably, I don't know if someone asked me now what I would be thinking, it might just be, I don't know, one thing, you know, but I think back then it was, and so I told him and he, I was like, what about you? He said, nothing. And I remember being like, and it was just so, but um, I think my mind was busier, but sorry, this was a tangent. And I guess there was two things of why I thought I was different. He also was much more in a state of well-being, which I am in a state of well-being now. But I thought um, I didn't recognize it as just like, oh, that my mental health was always there. I more took it as like, he can stay up late. He can eat the snacks. He can watch TV. I'm different. Like I'm on, I thought for me, I was struggling with my mental health, but also I could lose my mind. Mm -hmm. It was really like, um, I sometimes would be in this thing of jealous of other people that could, um, just live a normal life. Um, like I can't, you know, and he would just whatever, like stay up late and like fall asleep in front of the TV. And I would be like, um, jealous, but also like feel bad for myself. Like I can't do that because Mm -hmm. I'm like have a mental illness. I can't just watch TV and wake up and drink coffee. Like I have to have my hour long night routine and my hour long morning routine just to maintain this horrible place that I'm at because, but also if I don't, I could have a panic attack and maybe lose my mind. Um, and so it kind of wavered between jealousy and dignity, um, but also like I'm struggling. Um, <laughs> so, but I, I was, you know, it was all an illusion too, mm-hmm. because I didn't, um, now I, I look at my phone and read my book. And sometimes I, like, I just had such a story. I had, like, I thought I was such a, oh my God, I had trouble sleeping. I fall asleep all the time to, to TV. Like it's harder for me actually sometimes to, to stay awake to my boyfriend. Cause he's like, I just, you know, we want to watch a show, but I thought, oh no, I have to, I can't just fall asleep to TV, the blue light. And the like, I need to have this long routine. No, that was just this, where I was at in this story too. And I can now, um, my cousin and his wife, who I'm very close to, they just had a baby. And mm. so I went home with them from the hospital. And, um, and so I um, was really up with them the first two nights that we were home. So I never slept. I had a client right the next day. Cause I changed everybody or I put everybody off besides my morning clients. Cause I kind of thought I'd be home. And so it's like now where I'm at, it's not only that I'm different. I know that my spirit's not even touched if I don't sleep. Mm. Obviously I prefer to sleep, but it was like, my understanding is so different, but I would have thought before I'm somebody who needs eight hours of sleep. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that I'm still someone who feels good to get sleep, but I had, I didn't sleep much for two days and I had clients and I know mm-hmm. oh, I just show up and, um, I never would have thought that would have been, you know, and I drove, um, even cause I would have thought I have to do all these things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, so see now, you know, I, sh- I, I never, if I wouldn't sleep, I would have been like, Oh, 
I'm not fit to be around anybody. It just locked me in my room because I could just, I don't know, I would have canceled the day. And I was with a baby and I saw clients and I, their, their midwife came over and I needed to do something. She said, just drive my car before I would have been like, I can't, I can't drive a car on no sleep in someone's car. And so all of those were just false stories. Right. Right. Yeah. And I hear the, I really can hear when it comes to anxiety, all the management of it, you know, it it really adds to the problem. I talk about like a snowball rolling downhill, you know, you've got the original thing. And then if you roll it downhill and do all this management, it just adds and adds and adds to the problem. And I loved what you said about how simple the principles are and how it, it takes that sort of thing away and, and just makes everything yeah easier in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. That's really great. Um, so you've mentioned bringing this into the, with the kids at your schools and stuff. And I'm just always curious, where do you begin with them? You know, if someone, if someone's in your office and they have, are having anxiety or whatever, where would you start? Hmm. Well, and I don't work with kids as much for the past three years, Mm. but I can talk about where I start, where I'd start with kids or where I'd start with adults. Um, well, with kids, if a kid came in and they wanted, they were talking to me about being anxious, um, where would I start? Um, it's hard for me to say it. Cause I guess, I don't know if I have a set thing yeah. um, because I think I just listen and I see, um, you know, I think even before I came into the principles, um, I, um, I just, I listen. And I think sometimes I, if it works, share a story about myself or, Mm -hmm. oh, isn't it interesting? I remember when I did this, you know? And so I think, um, and with kids, um, it depends on their age, but a lot of it I would find with drawing, with playing, Mm -hmm. um, um, and that's where we have a conversation. So, or like with books. Um, so and some kids, they come in and they just want to talk, I think, but that's probably like 10% of kids. Um, so when I worked with kids and I did for as a school psychologist for 13 years, but before that I was like a nanny and then a preschool teacher and ran an after school program. So, um, with kids are just kind of having a chat, but even with high schoolers, we'd play Uno or we'd play basketball <laughs> or we just like play a game and then they would talk. So there's not, I never would put pressure on. Um, and with kids, with younger kids, it would often come out with the play. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether they were drawing and then they would draw something about it or they would have me draw something Um and I'm, I know I'm trying to say, how do I talk about the principles? Um, I guess I, it's hard for me to say where I start, I guess, just because it's kind of um, in the moment. Um, right. But even, for example, I talked with my son and my daughter are, in, are into embroidery. And um, and so they're embroidering their backpacks. And so wow. uh, my son, they both had their first day of school yesterday and they both are social and did stuff with friends and my son, but they had a plan to embroider. And, but my son went to his friend's house for dinner. And so he didn't come back until later. 
And, but he's like, oh, can I still hang out with his sister? And I said, yeah, for a little bit, but, and I actually let it go even 20 more minutes, but he wasn't finished. He's embroidering a football on his backpack. And so <laughs> my daughter told him, I don't think we're going to get the embroidery done in half an hour. Um, but so I had come in and I'm like, okay, even 15 more minutes. So then um, I was like, now it's like, it was like 920, which is pretty late for a nine-year-old. Cause we still do the night routine. Who's very disappointed. Um, and so he said, I, I can't go to school with an unfinished backpack. Mom, you would hate to go to school with something unfinished. And I, um, so I actually, I have a tattoo and it's my, my maiden name and the name of my, my mom's last name with my two older sisters last name, but it was a complicated thing of getting it. And they actually misspelled one of the names. So they left out and it was supposed to have two R's. So I said, Hey, remember when I got this tattoo and I had to wait three days. So I said, I had a name spelled wrong on me. And I said, I remember, cause I was looking and it was right around July 4th. And so it was like, no, I couldn't fix it. Mm. And I said to him, I remember thinking, I can't, I can't, I can't go out of the house with a, with a misspelled name. And then I realized I had the power to focus on it mm. or it felt like, or I could just let it go and know. Mm. And so it was kind of felt like, oh, the choice was up to me. And I decided, well, I'm just going to let it go. And so th- that to me is, is the essence of the principles of, yes, we can't control our thoughts, but actually we can say we can, you know, and so it was funny. So I just kind of introduced that to him. Um, I don't know if it was, it was funny. Cause then my daughter was like, Oh, you, George, you, you left these things out of your backpack. So then he's like, Oh, and then I said, I'm going to get a new bath mat. He's like, mom, I tried your thing of not thinking about it. And then Mary said backpack and you said bath mat. And I said, <laughs> Well, yeah, I said, I know. And I said, I didn't really mean, oh, I'm not going to think about it. But to me, I said, I think um, what we can see, oh, I can focus on it. Um, Or I can let that thought come and go. And um, I said, you might be surprised that sometimes you might, it might seem a big deal and you get involved with your friend. And, um, and so even that we're not talking about anxiety, but the principles are, are always at play. Mm -hmm. Um, where to me, it's just, oh, it comes into our mind and then it flows and, and we can make it as big as we want, but. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a great example with your son's backpack. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I love that. That's so great. Um, and, you know, looking back at your experience of um, with anxiety and that kind of thing, I, one of the questions I had for you was if you could, you know, if there was sort of one thing that you could share and maybe you've already touched on it about the experience of anxiety. What would that be? I don't know. If this is the right thing, but it came to me um, and it keeps coming. So, you know, um, whoever's listening, if you have anxiety, you're very unique. You really are. You're special and your anxiety's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, say more about that. You know, I think kind of, I think you had touched on that when we think, oh, nobody has anxiety as bad as me. So, and some people might be thinking that, and it sometimes I get that comment on social media, well, you must've never had anxiety or you have, must've not had it so badly. And I think often when we're in our experience, we think, um, and I'm not denying how painful, um, experiencing anxiety and panic and, and OCD can be, but 
we think about ourselves so much and we think if we hear other people, well, whatever, this easy principles thing, fine, it works for her, but she doesn't know me and she doesn't know my trauma and she doesn't know that I've experienced anxiety forever. And also I have these physical symptoms or I have OCD, like, and um, we can really unintentionally argue for our limitations um, <laughs> right. and, or, or sometimes think, oh, but I did this thing, or I have these thoughts, um, or somehow mental health's not for me, this easiness, it doesn't apply to me. Um, mm. and, or I think also for me, um, it was really until I met Sari Taylor, I just, I didn't even feel like I'd know like my psychiatrist or therapist. I was like, they just don't get it. Like they, mm. um, um, you know, I really thought something was wrong with me. Um, and so I think kind of on that part too, is like really not to believe our thinking when we feel low, because we, we have that low thinking, whether it's, this is who I am, this is how I'm always going to be, or this is even worse than anxiety. This has to be more, but then we take it with us, even when we feel better, mm. you know, so it's really to like, not to leave those low thoughts down there, you know, so just really the power of, I think, not taking your thinking seriously when you feel low, because I could see that I did that. So even when I felt better, I would bring these stories mm. um, about myself up. Mm-hmm. Carry them with you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, and one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about, and you mentioned it just there about body symptoms or earlier you mentioned, and how and I know for people with anxiety that can feel like the next level of problem right and your blog post talks about um kind of hyper fixating on that so could you tell us a bit about that and what you see yes well when we are activate our stress response so the flight or fight response which is so great like I'm so cool that human beings have that so if god forbid I was in a car crash with my children, you know, hormones would be released. Um, various things would be activated. Like I would be flooded to kind of feel faster and stronger. I would also probably dissociate a little bit. I would be a little bit removed. So I wouldn't be like, Oh my God, we just were in a horrible car accident. Um, but so many things could happen. So I probably, you know, that happen when we are in true danger. So, you know, we've heard those stories of moms that can like lift up a car or even, um, Dr. Pettit had shared a story about a man who, was saving all these people. He saw them drowning on the side of the road and, and he went in and helped them get out. And then, um, and then like the fire, you know, or safety people came or saving people came and they wrapped him in spiking. He was really shivering. And then somebody was talking to him and said, Oh, you must be really cold. He said, Oh no, I, um, I'm shaking because I don't know how to swim, but something had happened to him when he, and that wasn't even to him, but he went into this life-saving mode and mm was able to somehow jump in and, and save these people. So um, the reason that I brought that up with physical symptoms is that's there's body-wide changes that happen um, when we go into fight or flight or a stress response, whether it's to actual danger or just perceived. So that's what can happen with anxiety is it's very helpful in real danger, but not so much when if I was just starting to, <laughs> if I just started to feel anxious, on this call. Well, if I felt dangerous and then I thought there was a problem with it. Um, mm. but so, and also what can happen is we're able to be in fight or flight for up to, you know, 
like now up to half an hour every 24 or whatever, 48 hours, like with no ill effects. It's fine. Even if, you know, you're like, oh my God, I overslept and you, you know, <laughs> kind of got really fast. But what happens with people when they have kind of a chronic stress or chronic anxiety is we're in that stress response for three hours, six hours, eight hours a day mm. um, where we just get out of balance. So that's why we can have um, experience physical symptoms. Um, and I'm obviously not a doctor, so I don't want anyone to chalk up any physical symptoms. So please go to your checkups and not talking about, go make sure everything's fine. But what can happen? I know I had headaches for, I was like an anxious child and I had headaches since even before I could swallow a Tylenol pill and I had mm-hmm. stomach and I had ulcers like in high school. So my stomach would ache all the time. And I always had headaches. And then that kind of morphed to when I was like an adult, I would monitor my headaches and keep a headache journal and try to, um, mm-hmm. and it's so funny. I mean, knock on wood, I never get headaches now. I mean, mm-hmm. so rarely that one time, like two years ago, I had this pain in my head and I went around my day being busy and drinking water. And then it hit me. I'm like, Oh, I think I have a headache. Like I literally didn't even realize that that's what it was. Um, but also then we can start to have very other weird physical symptoms. Like I would hold my breath. My breathing would come become dysregulated. Um, and, but I, um, I would prolong it because so I had actually read later after I got out of this phase of breathing, that sometimes animals hold their breath to mm. like be as still as possible, but actually it can also kind of help us feel a little detached. Um, but so I would hold my breath now looking back, I could see if I was going to be like late with my kids. Like, so if I started to think something was serious, it wasn't going the way I wanted for whatever reason, I would hold my breath a little. Mm. Um, and, um, but what would happen is I don't know when I would notice it, that I was, um, my breathing was off. Mm-hmm. And so this was before I came into the principles. I thought I should do some square breathing, some belly breathing. Cause I had been trained in so much of the alternate nostril breathing, the square breathing, and I'm in LA. So I would do all of that, but it wouldn't work. And I'm like, well, I should step it up. I'm going to go to a breathwork class. I'm going to go to a meditation and a breathwork class. Um, but then literally I would be like, I don't know how to breathe because I would, I would be so in my head when we, we're just, we breathe from the morning when we're at one hour, one second old, we don't have to think about it. So that's where that hyper fixation can come in with sometimes blinking, swallowing, um, like seeing our nose, the tip of our nose and, um, um, and and then we can try to like, how do I think my way out of here right. um, with, our, with our intellect? And then um, when it's really actually when we, um, so I can speak for me and what I've seen it happen. So if people are hyper-focused on something, they can get into this cycle of really wanting it to go away. So sometimes from the moment they can wake up, they can, is it here? Mm-hmm. And it's, I feel like it starts instantly. Um, but I think another component is also... Um, if we've been in a chronic state of stress for months or years, it can sometimes take 
a little bit of time for the physical symptoms to go away. Nobody needs to be scared. There's not permanent danger, but like I was, I was anxious for a long time, but very severely anxious for seven years. So, um, so much so, so I, uh, one symptom that I lost my period for three years, didn't have anything to do with weight or body fat. It was, I was in such a chronic state of stress that, um, my hormones change. I was in the postmenopausal range. Um, so I guess, yeah, but my son is nine, everything's fine. <laughs> yes. But, um, like our body's going to take, sometimes it, sometimes a symptom can just go away, but sometimes it takes a little bit of time just because I don't want to scare anybody like, Oh, there was just a little bit of damage. Cause we were in fight or flight for longer than we needed to be. Mm-hmm. And it's often what I found is the symptom that we're the most desperate for to, to go away. Yeah. Like for me, I don't know. I, I did actually have a lot of thinking about headaches and stomach aches, but I didn't, I have no idea when those just fell away immediately. Like, and mm-hmm. I would burp, I would have eye twitches. I, I don't know. I had so many symptoms. I can't really remember them, but so many and those, most of them just fell away, but my breathing, I would sometimes be like, I would wake up and think, is it, is it gone? And it was even after my driving anxiety and certain things fell away, I was like, why is this breathing thing here? Um, mm. and, um, and it wasn't until I had an insight about that, listening to a podcast of Nicola Bird, she had John Omakadamon and he was like, something clicked when he was saying, well, what if you had all this progress? All right. What if this physical symptom was still here? And I realized at that moment, it was like, oh, my life is so much better. So, okay. My breathing is still weird. (laughs) And I don't know at that moment, I just stopped checking on it. And then next Mm -hmm. thing I knew, because I think what sometimes people can get in that kind of compulsive awareness of I'm seeing progress, but what about this one area? Um, And it's, um, and it's often when we take our attention away that then it falls away. Right. Yes, exactly. No, I love that. Um, and it made me wonder too, do you, do you ever have, uh, uh, symptoms crop up nowadays? Yeah, I haven't had the breathing one. Um, but I had it around, um, I guess like three years ago. Um, it was, I noticed, um, my kids were going to, it was still like pandemic time. So we weren't, it wasn't, the world wasn't too open, but they were going to have a friend sleepover. And, um, and I remember just kind of, um, my son had a friend over and my daughter had a friend over. And so the kids were running around and I was doing the dishes and I noticed that I held my breath and I was like, Mm. Oh, so I'll see it as a truly beautiful love letter. Yeah. And so what it was to me was a tap on the shoulder. Oh, I'm taking this seriously. I, I think, especially because my son at that time was just probably like five, um, even though he's nine, so maybe, or maybe he was six, um, and I still, you know, would sometimes think, oh, I want play dates to go well. And and when they're six, you might, oh, I don't want the kids to be upset. And, you know, I have to have the sleepover because I had told the parents, like, go out and enjoy your life. They were going to a party. <laughs> and so I remember, I think, running around and probably thinking, oh, no, what if they fall? What if they get upset? And holding my breath. Mm. Um, and um, so that, that that was the last time that happened. And I don't know if I, oh, sometimes I'll, like my stomach. Um, but it'll be much, um, like a shorter thing, but sometimes if I'm going to a party or I'm going to on an airplane, my stomach will just hurt. And then, but I'm like, Oh, makes sense. 
mm-hmm. you know, and I just nothing to do. Um, and, um, but I think, or sometimes if I notice, I think it was last year, two years ago, it was last year for my birthday. I noticed that I was like a little dissociated when I was cleaning before people coming over mm. and my boyfriend was talking to me and I felt like I was removed. And so I was like, Oh, so for me, I truly see them as love letters where it's like, I'm taking it too seriously. Mm-hmm. So it might sound strange if people are, but like, I'm grateful for those signals because, mm-hmm. um, I truly see them as friendly alarms. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such an important point that you're looking at, we look at them so totally differently once we see what they really are. As you say, I call it a mindfulness bell, you know, it's just, and I love what you said about, it's just tapping you on the shoulder, letting you know, Hey, you're caught up, you know, in in your thinking at the moment and yeah, they're real gifts. And when we see them for that, then they don't need to linger or yeah. Yeah. And also just the noticings, you know, Oh, Mm-hmm. Like yeah, sometimes I have a habit of taking things too seriously. Okay. Mm, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, and so I really think the noticing without judgment um, and just the noticing's enough because there's nothing I need to do mm-hmm. because, oh, I got, cause I know it's not that serious. Life is never that serious. It's all okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Such a good point. Um, so we're coming sort of towards the end of our time together. I just wondered if there's anything we haven't touched on that you'd like to share for people who might be dealing with anxiety. Hmm. You have everything that you're looking for. Oh, nice. I think we really do because you have clarity, you have peace of mind, you have calm. It's just, it's always there. And so you don't even have to go looking for it. It's when everything settles and also that you're designed to settle, mm-hmm. but that that's when it's like right there. You know, I don't know if I knew that, that it's like everybody that's listening is sitting in the middle of mental health, sitting in the middle of clarity, um, sitting there. Cause sometimes even people say, Oh, it's horrible. If I took a medication, then it's the medication. Well, no, I mean, I'm not meaning to go on a tangent on that, but like it just quieted your mind and, and there's your well-being. It's right there. Um, you know, and I think one time, actually, I was recording a course, um, in November, it's August now. And I had been talking a lot and I was like reading some poetry of Sue Pettit's. And, um, so my breathing actually started to get a dysregulated, but I used my intellect and I was like, you know what, it must be because I'm putting pressure and I've been sitting and recording. I need to go to like a soul cycle class. I need like a lot of exercise. And so I did all this stuff. It was so funny. Cause it's like, and it wasn't until whatever soul cycle was so loud. And I went all these times and just for these few days. And then suddenly I was like, oh, and I had one day where I just sat and did nothing. And, and I went to record and I realized, I don't know how I realized that the only reason my breathing was dysregulated was because I was talking, right. <laughs> I was talking much more. I was recording for like six hours and it, and what it felt like was, oh, I took the long way home. Like (laughs) looking for peace and good feeling at soul cycle. And there wasn't anything wrong with that, but it was like three days that were just a waste. And it wasn't until I actually did nothing um, because soul cycle actually was fun, but it was so loud that it, um, it hurt my ear. So then I was like, ah, now I need 
um, earplugs and I tried like three different ones. And actually I was like, one, one class isn't enough. I need two classes in a row. So I had to, but I had done a package and I needed to figure out how to do two in a row and how to have my boyfriend get the kids. And it was like, and so the day I did two in the row, the earplugs made it weird. So then I was there in the second class and I have diabetes and I was like, felt like low blood sugar. So it was so funny because it was after that, I just went home kind of feeling defeated. And it was when I stopped, I had that insight. I really, and that's where it's like, but also I didn't beat myself up. It was, that was so also with anxiety, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent too. It's like, we don't have to do it perfectly. Every time um, I'm at, I wouldn't consider myself to have disordered anxiety. I never have panic attacks. I don't have OCD, but sometimes I still like that example. Sometimes I still have a setback of sorts. And now I don't see it any differently as um, having a little symptom. I'm like, oh, because truly my understanding goes deeper. I used mm. to think I'm doing the principles right. Mm. Um, you know, I would hear people that would say, no, like they're still human. But I was like, well, I might, if I just do them perfectly, like I'm always <laughs> going to feel present and happy. And no, because we we're humans, but I notice it mostly at irritability or yeah, like the, the moment I hold my breath, oh, I notice it. So I don't take myself so seriously. And so I think I see wobbles or whatever as just truly opportunities. And that's why I think my understanding, I, I have insights all the time that really like seem to profoundly, like I'll see new things still five years. And I know there's going to be more for me to see. Um, so anybody that's feeling anxious too, like, I guess it's not to put too much pressure on yourself for the mm. moments you get caught up or because it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It mm-hmm. just is really opportunities to like, to see things. Yes. Yeah. Opportunities for greater insight. That's so true. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Well, this has been amazing. Lily, can you tell us where we can find out more about you and your work? Yes. Um, I really like posting, posting on social media. So if anybody has social media on Instagram, oh, I mean, I always try to start with the ones that don't have any hyphen things in front of them, but <laughs> right. on TikTok, I'm just at peace from within. Okay. And, but I know Instagram can be also annoying and unpleasant. So I do have a website, which is just peace dash from dash within. And there's everything that you want there. I'm also on Instagram, which is, is an underscore peace from within. Um, but if you're on anywhere, you can usually find all of my stuff. So if you um, on YouTube, I think I'm just at peace from within as well. Mm-hmm. And, and there, I mean, I have a lot of long free videos on YouTube and on my website and, and then on Instagram and TikTok, a lot of shorter, I think Instagram is like a greater wealth. Cause I'll do a lot of like Q and a videos. So if people ask questions, um, I answer them and it's a fun medium for me, fun way to just share about mental well-being, um, I, hopefully in a hopeful way, a lighthearted way about anxiety. Um, but then I also have, so that's so much free content, but I also have courses and options if anyone ever wanted to work one-on-one or learn more about how to have peace from, I, I share a lot about what was like my personal struggles, which, cause those are the people that are drawn to me kind of specifically driving anxiety, mm-hmm. derealization, intrusive thoughts, you know, physical symptoms, health, anxiety. Um, so, but actually usually everyone's anxiety falls away. And then we end up talking about relationships. 
<laughs> and sometimes uh, jobs, um, like and and work and career. But anybody that I work with long term, it's the anxiety falls away, and then we focus on, um, you know, on general life stuff. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, that's great. Well, I will put links in the show notes at Unbroken Podcast dot com so people can find uh where you are on the on the world wide web well thank you so much lily it's been just lovely chatting with you thank you so much for having me on it's been lovely take care bye 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 thank you for listening i hope you found the show helpful and uplifting you'll find all the backlist episodes and show notes at unbrokenpodcast.com To learn more about how to resolve an overeating habit in a way that's unlike anything else you've tried, go to freedomfromovereating.com. Use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout to save 20% on this unique and comprehensive course. See you next time!